Car bombs, kidnapping, torture. Explosions in market squares and supermarkets. Soldiers shooting innocent civilians in the back. Known as the Troubles, Northern Ireland's bloody conflict claimed the lives of over three and a half thousand people. But then, it ended. The tragedies of the past have left a deep and profoundly regrettable legacy of suffering. We must never forget those who have died or been injured and their families. That's the preamble to the Belfast Good Friday Agreement, which led paramilitary groups to put away their arms and pave the way for communities to build bridges towards peace. How did it happen? This historic new beginning came from within Northern Ireland and the international community. Membership of the EU and its efforts were huge factors. And the European Union is the best example in the history of the world of conflict resolution. That's the late John Hume an MEP from the Socialists and Democrats group in the European Parliament. He won the Nobel Peace Prize with David Trimble for his work on the Good Friday Agreement. Hume's vision was borrowed heavily from the European Union's ability to, to manage diversity. And he used to say all the time, you know, the Germans are still German, the French are still French, but they find ways to kind of work the common ground. Il President! The resolution is adopted. It's a transform place, anybody who remembers pre-agreement um, Northern Ireland. And that's Claire Hanna, a Social Democratic Labour Party MP, speaking to Claire and current members of the European Parliament. We're looking back at how history was made, the situation as it is today, and we're looking forward at the future for Northern Ireland, Ireland, the UK and the EU. We're looking at what lessons can be drawn from one of the most successful peace agreements in modern history. Claire was 17 when the Good Friday Agreement was signed. I asked her what it felt like. I honestly just remember it being a really exciting time. You know, I, I grew up in a household that was, you know, devoted to Hume and the SDLP and who, who wanted this, who wanted peace and progress for. Um, so I just remember my parents just probably being at their, at their happiest and, and, and being involved in and in, in campaigns and obviously there was the positivity of the Labour government as well that had been transformative for you know social and economic reasons as well. How important was the international community and the EU in the Good Friday Agreement happening? Success as many fathers certainly and, and, and many people were involved in the Good Friday Agreement but um, John Hume was undoubtedly its, its, its architect. Really, if you look at the core um, three-strand concept within the agreement, you know, about managing relationships within Northern Ireland, north and south of Ireland, and and east and west between Britain and Ireland, that was really the basis of Hume's thinking from decades um, before. And really, over those years in the 70s and 80s, he managed to galvanise support in Dublin and in London and in the US and in Brussels and across the EU. And then to leverage that that support with the, with the Northern Irish parties and and um, other other parties to the conflict um, and ultimately uh, the population who who overwhelmingly um, it, it endorsed it. So as I say, that that focus on 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 relationships and the indivisibility of relationships um, was 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 Hume's work and a lot of the genius concepts that that found ways to manage a conflict that really was you know, not just 25 years old of the conflict, but hundreds of years old in terms of the competing nationalisms um, 
uh, on the island uh, of Ireland, but he always saw the European dimension as absolutely fundamental to the solutions. Katerina Bali is a German member of the European Parliament. She's vice president, in fact. The Good Friday Agreement for us as Europeans is, is of utmost importance. It secures peace in the region. Um, and it's also something that was achieved with the help of the European Union. Um, if Ireland and UK hadn't been members of the European Union um, or becoming such, it would have been far more difficult, maybe impossible, to reach this agreement. So we feel a certain sense of responsibility for this agreement. Eracia García Pérez, the group president of the S&D, has a similar message that being in the EU was essential for peace. The fact that both the UK and Ireland were members of the European Union was important to reach the Good Friday Agreement. Now, 25 years later, and in a new, very different context, we need to make sure that the legacy of peace the legacy of John Hume remains. But is there anything that the Good Friday Agreement didn't foresee? I asked Claire what the biggest challenges are 25 years on. Sure. I mean, it's still ultimately, this is still a contested region and, um, you know, approximately half of the population identify as, as, as Irish and, 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 and I suppose have allegiance to, uh, to, to, to Ireland and about half British. And, and that will always be somewhat of a challenge. Many people feel that the Good Friday Agreement offers an example to other post-conflict societies. Pedro Silva Pereira is a Portuguese MEP and Vice President of the Parliament. He sees the international relevance of Northern Ireland's peace. The experience in Northern Ireland shows that dialogue is always better than wars to solve uh, uh, issues and conflicts. So uh, dialogue finally worked in Northern Ireland to uh, build peace and uh, uh, stability. So that's an important lesson for, for us all, and even more today. This place was solved because of the immense solidarity of, of, of the European um, Union and, and, and further afraid because people did take such an interest in it. And there are absolutely um, lessons, but I think um, they are, I mean, Hume used to say just that difference is the essence of, 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 of humanity and that you don't try and, and I think there is a danger that you try and sort of, you know, remove all the differences, but he, he always, he didn't believe in a sterile future. He believed in, in, in people still being able to be who they are. And I suppose a little bit like the European Union, it's about pooling um, your sovereignty and about pooling your power and about, you know, you will achieve more working in the common interest. Thijs Reuten is a Dutch MEP. He's clear it was never a given that this would happen. Well, it didn't come in the blink of an eye, and there has been a lot of tragedies uh, before uh, it finally came to, uh, to this uh, agreement. And I think that um, uh, dialogue was, uh, was important, uh, but even during the dialogue, the violence uh, persisted mm -hmm. and led to setbacks. And it took a lot of courage from both sides to finally get to that agreement. And when they finally did on Good Friday in 1998, with the overwhelming support of the people of Northern Ireland, it heralded a new chapter not only uh, on the island, uh, but I think also across Europe. Back to Claire, I asked her, how is Brexit going to affect things? 
Uh, it's worth saying that some of the, the areas for cooperation actually defined in the Good Friday Agreement are quite um, narrow because there was political pushback. And they also represent a moment in time 25 years ago. And I suppose it's a it's a very analog approach in a now uh, digital world, really. And it talks about, you know, rivers and, and things that, and, and, and really um, while there's some reach into, say, environmental cooperation, we're operating in a very different place. And actually, um, the protocol or now the Windsor framework focuses on goods. It doesn't focus on services. And there is borderism that is creeping in um, post that. So as I say, Brexit has been just highly disruptive in each of the agreement's three strands. You know, it, it is polarised opinion within Northern Ireland. It has hampered North-South and it definitely soured the relationship between Britain and Ireland. Although I'm, I'm glad to say that is moving back into um, a, a, a better place. But um, it is also, I must say, it's going to become um, a pull factor for constitutional change because many people are um, are are angry and 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 upset that they're European. They, they valued um, European Union membership, and, and I suppose that being available again years down the line, though it will be um, in a new Ireland, is definitely I think going to um, be a, a bit of a game changer for 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 some uh, for some voters. So yes, we are we are concerned at the at um, I suppose a lot of it depends on how. Britain chooses to use its um, post-Brexit um, environment because the more that they um, diverge on regulations, the harder, um, I suppose, a sea border becomes and the more difficult integration comes between Britain and Ireland and, and, and further afield. I have to say, I obviously work on, on lots of UK-wide um, bodies. I don't feel a big desire for the UK uh, among an industry and consumers um, to, to go off in mad directions on on. Uh, on 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 regulations, and I hope that um, the UK can always stay closely um, a, a, a aligned, sort of ideologically, a, a, as well as in trade terms. Post Brexit, the EU and the UK's relationship will be partially influenced by a joint parliamentary assembly. Our MEP Svetlina Penkova is the vice chair. Constant dialogue between the two parliaments is crucial. First of all, because the parliamentarians are the people elected uh, by the society, so they can represent in the most subjective ways the expectation of each one of the citizens on both sides of the, chan of the channel. So um, I think in terms of uh, practical approach of what's coming forward, we have quite a lot of power to achieve a lot. I asked Claire Hannah if she has a message to the EU. Uh, to, to, to the EU, uh, just that it's a thank you for the solidarity of the last um, seven years. It has been a frustrating process and a, and, a, and a polarizing and a damaging process for Northern Ireland, but I'm sure it has been um, confusing and frustrating um, for elsewhere. But it is because of that solidarity and that commitment um, that, that we have now a, a decent outcome because I think it would have been um, very very easy to 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 take a deal basically in the UK at that time were were uh, you know it would have been easy to to take a deal that would have disadvantaged um, Northern Ireland and the island of Ireland and that maybe would have been the easier outcome and and we deeply appreciate I mean if you if you from from Barnier Sefcovich who 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 understood the assignment as the young people say. To finish, I'll pass to my colleague Fergal to give us a bit more of the poetic opening of a historic agreement of which we're all very proud. Thanks for listening. The tragedies of the past have left a deep and profoundly regrettable legacy of suffering. We must never forget those who have died or been injured and their families. 
but we can best honour them through a fresh start in which we firmly dedicate ourselves to the achievement of reconciliation, tolerance and mutual trust and to the protection and vindication of the human rights of all.